Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is YouTuber Devin Maggi. Devin, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, that was no kind of intro, Jerry. I don't I don't know anything about him. I don't have an intro. So, all right, I'm going to start in with this. There you so, go. She can do it. I've been I've been following Devin's work on YouTube for the last, I guess it's two and a half years now. And I have found his content to be incredibly intelligent, uh, moving, his ability to synthesize deep concepts and make them palatable uh, in a in an artistic and beautiful and harmonious way. I just heavily, I highly suggest everyone check out his channel. He's talking about important stuff that we're all going through, these shifts that everyone's feeling, and uh, they're artfully done. Not to mention his music's amazing. I think, I think you were a sound engineer or something, Devin, in college or something like that. You may fill in the blanks here. Yes, well, I'm so glad once to express to have been a part of your journey. Before being on YouTube, I was a pop songwriter and sound engineer. I would write songs for pop artists. That's uh, fascinating. I actually didn't know that. I knew you had something to do with the music industry, though. Yeah, it was a huge part of my life, and it still is. So now that I'm on YouTube and I'm completely removed from that pop world. I'm creating music under the name Hermes Trismegistus, and it's all in tandem with the videos I make. So the music is, is complementary to the overall message. Yes, it, it's, it's extraordinary. I love it. I love the vocalist you get on too. It's all great. So good. Thank I you. aspire. So let's... um. Let's dive in and start in talking about the world you grew up in. What inspired you? Did you have a relationship with nature? What was what kind of sticks out as far back as you can recall? Well, you know, I grew up in a pretty broken home, like most of us in this energy extraction matrix. It was sprinkled, of course, with um, trips to nature and lots of different family outings. But the main thing that inspired me was always the melodies within my head and being able to daydream and immerse myself in a musical atmosphere at will. You know, whether I was uh, upset in my room or if I was quite content out in nature with my mom or dad. So uh, I always gave myself ability to, to pretend and play like most, most children. And, and thankfully, I, I've never lost that. That's true. And, you, and that does come <laughs> across in your, in your contemporary work that we see. You're, you still, um, you stick to the child and you shines forth, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so in the world so say like in pop culture were there was there anything that sticks out that you enjoyed uh yeah like cartoons or particular movies soundtracks music absolutely i was into musical 
theater and any Disney movie that had big dramatic numbers. It it was the exhilarating drama of music that uh, was my main influence. Even if we're talking about pop, I always would gravitate towards the artists who were very dramatic and showmen like Elvis or mm. Michael Jackson. There's not enough of that. And I'm kind of, I'm lamenting that these days. There's, it seems like we're con- increasingly seeing less of it, if that makes sense. Yes, I think there is less intentional showmanship because the point of showmanship uh, isn't only to dazzle, it's often to dazzle and the dazzling has encoded messages within it. And so we know Michael Jackson's work is quite polar in that regard. On one hand, you have beautiful pop song that uh, express lyrics that the mainstream can absorb and not think twice about. But on the other end, was laying down throughout his work and throughout his imagery such profound symbolism that uh, for those who can see past the superficiality, there was something more. Yes, for sure. The, so just on that for a second, let's just take Michael Jackson since you brought him up. Do you, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy about these kinds of things, as you well know, and that there's a nefarious side, you know, and certainly with Michael Jackson, there's all kinds of talk and there always has been chatter about maybe a a negative side or negative encoding in his, in his dream work, which was his, the art he put forth. Well, I can't really dive into that unless we first talk about the peril of dueling. So you said, well, perhaps it can be interpreted. There's nefarious or some kind of uh, evil intent behind his music. But breaking apart reality into these opposing perspectives of good and evil, right and wrong, Uh, holy versus nefarious. This is the very perspective which leads consciousness into fragmentation and thus all of the dis-ease we see. So getting that out of the way, uh, no, no, I don't think we can make a blanket statement that, say, Michael Jackson's work was good or bad. Um, It was a reflection of dichotomy because of course his music was so beautiful so passionate he destroyed his own appearance for the sake of showmanship and perhaps uh personal insecurities and i think there were a lot of paradox that his music and many other pop artists music uh explore and whether they know it or not it's those paradox which uh, I feel humanity is just about ready to embrace that it doesn't have to be one 
for the other. So we can absolutely uh, <laughs> dance with the zombies in Michael Jackson's thriller, but we can also find solace in the fact that he was dancing and that if we look at the core of who we have been, you know, as as a whole, we've also been dancing. Yes. Yes. This is, and we'll weave all these concepts in later. I just wanted to get that. It's, it's, I find it sometimes exhausting where I have to step back when everything is taken to the duality, one side or an, another. And it, you know, it just seems so blown out of proportion now that it's, it's laughable. Even the jesters are going, wait, this is my job. Um, so back at your youth and all that, did you, were you a child that dreamed a lot? Do you recall being a child that recalled dreams? I recalled my dreams a fair amount. Yeah. And at that young age, what was your relationship with the idea of dreaming? What did you think was going on? Well, dreams were very much a part of reality back then. Um, it was always showing me something that was happening within the house, and I took those manifestations seriously. So I would have a lot of where kings with swords on horses and all of the king's men would be chasing me around the house trying to kill me. And I knew even at age seven that this wasn't because I, I was doing something wrong. It was because the atmosphere in the home was just uh, full of turmoil. Mm -hmm. But eventually, you know, I, I grew... I grew up and I started more and more to separate my dreams and waking life and the relevance between the two diminished. Oh yeah. It's one of the goals. I think where did you grow up? If you don't mind Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I married a man from Detroit. I also divorced him, but I still, Ooh. you know, it was, a, Oh no, no, no. All paths are good. It, it was a, it was fine. Um, so Detroit, the big D's, Motor City. Did you, are you an only child? I am a triplet. Oh, Thrice great. Oh my God, I love that. So how do we know which one is you now? <laughs> <laughs> We're not identical. That is amazing. I think you're the you're the you are the first one. You are the first triplet we've had on Mox Mente. And this really this is intriguing. And if you don't mind, is it all right if we go down this alley for a second? Please, I'll go down any alley you want. <laughs> My kind of guy. All right. So as a triplet, what is your experience? So and this is this is not necessarily just we're not We'll come back to your earlier life. But just in general, what is your experience with, is there a psychic connection that's tangible for the three of you? There is. One is no longer alive. My sister as well. There is absolutely what we call triplepathy. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with twins. We were basically split 
from the same egg, so we share many of the same cells. And no matter what the distances are, those cells communicate. I mean, they they contain much of the same DNA. Um, so we always have gut feelings about one another, and there's this impenetrable connection. I've heard the same thing with other triplets as well. It's quite fascinating. It it, it endlessly fascinates me. I come. I, there are no triplets in my family I know, but there are many sets of twins, and so it it's intriguing. It's the one that died. But how old was this? How old were you all when that happened? We were 18. 18. That's young. Did you, so around that time, okay, also let me just finish up with your early, early bit. Were you brought up with any kind of religious stuff? My family uh, was Jewish. We're practicing Jews for the early part of my childhood. And then once my mother found yoga, <laughs> that replaced the uh the torah how did you feel how old were you when that happened i was about 10 how did you feel about that you know i always existed in this space where i i knew the truth but i couldn't vocalize it and even though i had lots of friends family in intermingled within the Jewish synagogue, I always felt out of place and I secretly knew that there was more to existence than the standardized way that the Old Testament tells us, which is what the Jews Jews read. Yes. But it definitely opened me up because obviously I spent less time at Hebrew school till I wasn't going anymore, spent less time at the temple. And with that time, uh, and with the internet um, becoming more and more complex, it was perfect for, for me to start exploring uh, things I was actually curious about, independently. Yes, yeah, so there's a sense of freedom there. Absolutely. You're, you sound got really good for a second. It sounds you sound a little distant. I'm just as a technical note. I think, and for a second, your sound would loud and clear. So I'm not sure if you're away from the mic. Can you hear me better now? Yes, that's great. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So when did you leave Detroit? It, so you were ten. You were ten when your mother found yoga. Yes. And, uh, you know, my teenage years, uh, I'd, I'd rather really not talk about because they're full of um, the same type of angst and uh, inability to really translate the world as everyone else. So I, I was in Detroit until uh, a few years ago, and I've been traveling around ever since then. I come back to Detroit every now and then, but I'm currently in Argentina, and uh, I don't really see myself as having one home. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a wanderer too. Uh, all right, that's good. That's some that's good background. So 
I would like to come back to your it's your brother passed. Yes, my twin brother. Did you and your sister have any dreams around when that was happening? Was it, you know, was it a sudden thing where you could have had maybe tapped into the the dream log or um, what was going on in in your dream world around there? And especially, you know, as this ties in as a triplet with, you know, the three of you, how did the process take place and happen on those kinds of etheric levels? So I perceive my brother, his name is Dylan, in my dreams regularly. I uh, talk to him to this day. And what happened uh, shortly after he passed, he started to show up in my dreams as a very confused sort of bad guy. He would display himself as somebody who had power over me and he would maybe wrestle with me, this and that, shoot guns at me if he could. And I took this as a sign that he was in, uh, in a state of shock between 3D and the realms in which he was to pass. And so the death was accidental. And I do think that when death is something so sudden and it's not prepared for, we have no time to integrate uh, our experiences and pass over. And so what ends up happening is what people would call disincarnate spirit or, or earthbound spirit. Um, so after a few years of me just observing him in my dreams, I decided to walk up to him, finally face and I, I said, Dylan, you're dead. That, that's the first thing that came to my head. He looked at me with a very confused face. And in my dream, he faded away like smoke. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I woke up feeling as if I had released him. And it's often said uh, in many practices, in folk magic throughout the world that to help a spirit pass over, you must uh, inform them that they are dead, that they're safe to pass over. You have to uh, kind of direct them to a state of ease and acceptance. Because if one doesn't accept that death has occurred, then they will continue to be on a sort of loop from the life they just left. And that's exactly what I was seeing with my brother. Um, uh, he lived uh, a very complicated life like many uh, humans, and I could see the same pattern of behavior, most of, of which were rooted in aggression, he would display in dream time. Mm -hmm. So I do feel as if I set him free. That's excellent. It, so when the relationship picked up from there, or it has, it was, I, didn't I just hear you still have a relationship going? Yes. Yes, we do. What, what was the, the next phase of that after you 
inform him that he was no longer uh, in this material realm here, and he poofed away. Then the, the next encounter, what was that like in the dream? Well, the next encounter didn't happen for about it. And I had a night in which I went to bed very upset. I, uh, I had a full belly. I ate my dinner very late. And I wasn't in a state of ease and instantly i was led into a dream in which he was on this sort of scary farm which there was a house we could say it's a haunted house and he was running around me like a jester laughing mm. and i woke up and i realized Exactly why this had happened. It was because ultimately he is a part of myself, which is very angry and very indulgent. And so, because um, since I set it free, I've dived very deep in my own experiences into the principle of as within, so without. I was now able to identify that my brother, even though he seemed to be a, a separate entity from me in life, even though I talked to him face-to-face -face in the astral realm, he ultimately is a manifestation of all which I dislike mm. about existence, that which is angry, that which haunts you, you know, points fingers, laughs at you, uh, brings you to a place which its sole purpose is to create some inner inner chaos, inner demons. And so the next step, because you asked, was to integrate that part of myself. So I realized, okay, well, now this is different. This is no longer me interacting with my brother who was once alive. This is me interacting with a part of myself. And as long as I hold on to the same type of consciousness that he was trying to reflect back to me not to display, then he will keep showing up in my dream. It was curious that he only showed up when I went to bed in that specific emotional state. Yeah, it's this is immediately, you know, one thinks of the shadow and and then all the connotations therein, which leads towards the path of individuation when you're assimilating this content. Exactly. And this brings us into the similarity between the waking dream and the sleeping dream because they're both very similar mm -hmm. um, when one is in a dream all of the scenery and the characters appear real uh, unless you're lucid they seem to be independent from you but they're simply projected manifestations of typically an unresolved inner being played out in order to process so 
I see dreams as uh, a safe space. Like dreams give us an opportunity to see the, the manifestations of our unresolved uh, emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. But it's the same thing when we wake up. Everything ultimately is an extension of each other. And so if while you're dreaming, everything seems to be uh, on autopilot, then does this mean it's real or not? Does it mean it's independent of you or coming from you? And that's a paradox that can't really be resolved. Um, so back to the, uh, the as within, so without principle, we tend to view things from a very scientific lens that if I'm not actively conscious of manifestations, how can I be projecting? That's what the scientific mind wants to say when they hear a law such as, as within, so without, as above, so below. Because the premise is, if I'm not pulling the string of every interaction I have from both sides, that means Whatever I'm not consciously controlling is out of my hand. <laughs> and this is something uh, religions and even mainstream spirituality, especially uh, the New Age, uh, doesn't want to hear. Because when the creation and creator are tied in an infinite feedback loop, this means every experience is your responsibility. How you deal with that experience once it's manifest is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a dream and you're in a nightmare, you're running from yourself. And every psychologist on earth who's studied um, dream theory will testify to this. So it's accepted in the mainstream that dreams will reflect fears and uh, unresolved traumas and what have you. But then we wake up and supposedly everything operates according to a different schematic. But I say no, and I, I take uh, what some might say is a, a very extreme perspective that uh, everything we're interacting with is ourselves. So once we treat our experience as uh, coming from that place of a consistently unfolding movement from the inner to the outer, back to the inner, then we can truly achieve pure sovereignty. So this is how I'm treating my waking life uh, from the time I get up to the time I go back into the night dream. This is uh, this is integral in in the way I approach uh, this whole experience as well. And uh, you use very specific language earlier that I would like to unfold further. And it is about the sleeping dreams and waking dreams. The sleeper within the dream uh, is that. Could you give us a little bit more about that? As and as you've just outlined 
this premise that all really is the dream, which we do see in lots of places in the occulted world from from the indigenous aborigines of Australia to ancient texts in the in Sumer and all all this it's everywhere the sleeper in the dream and what is that versus the dreamer in the dream hmm. i guess uh i don't really understand what you're Ask. What's the difference between awakening within the dream and sleeping within the dream? And so let's keep it let's keep it still right. separated here and in polarity. So in no, what what most people think is their dream time when they close their physical eyes here and then they go into this etheric realm, which is dream where you've just outlined that there is a pair there you can still you're asleep in it and that is when one is dealing with one's personal content and daily chatter and and your your inner stuff that the components of what make up your your personality i guess would be an easier way to say that as opposed to waking within the dream and this now we're talking about lucidity The waking dream is the conscious. The sleeping dream is the sub and unconscious. And so the sub and unconscious aspects of our mind, which honestly, I don't think are that separated. I think they're very, very related. There's different degrees to which we're aware of what our sub and unconscious are filtering through but when mm -hmm. we're, we're sleeping this is an opportunity for these aspects of ourselves to come to the forefront and once they're resolved they can then reflect back in our waking life because the waking dream is for the conscious mind so obviously in uh, in these bodies while we're in seemingly solidified matter we can consciously decide to play with ourselves, play with others, play with our environments, and we see results. But unless we have resolved things within dream time, and many of us don't even remember when we do this, we will wake up feeling great and we won't remember a single damn dream. But that doesn't mean we didn't do work or process these very important uh, fragmentized parts of our mind. Uh, you mentioned lucidity. A dream, waking life are different as far as the environment because in waking life we have matter, we have solidification, and we have time. So we have this uh, this line which seems to be controlling how reality unfolds. And of course, it's ultimately an illusion, but it still guides how things manifest here. Things don't manifest instantly here because, of course, when we're in, in this polar schematic of dreaming 
and waking, then of course we won't have the manifestation capability to say we think of a god or a goddess or an arcane habit. But we can become lucid in waking life just like in a dream. In a dream when you're lucid, and I'm sure uh, you and Jerry have done, you're moving things around, you're toggling with your environment, you might want to be down a never-ending slope or have sex with lots of uh, lots of men or women, whatever <laughs> have you. Uh, and things can happen so instantly because you realize it's a dream. Well, I say that becoming lucid in 3D uh, is more and more creating those same perks. I, I mean, we talked about uh, before the show niche how there's absolutely a process unfolded. There's a shift. Some might want to call it ascension or the event or awakening, but I think it's it's deeper than any of these conceptualization. Mm -hmm. It's something in which the ethereal is merging with the physical and there isn't so much a separation that we can hold on to anymore because that's what the singularity so many talk about um, as far as ascension speaks of. It's that there's no more this tug of war between the waking and the dream state. And for so long, we've been able to go to bed and experience these worlds which are so separate from our waking life and they're merely charades for many of them. But uh, that's not the case anymore. The, the great work is being done both in the conscious and subconscious realms and uh, the beautiful thing. Indeed. This is uh, this would be a good point, or yeah, this would be a good stopping point to get a little bit of your perspective on the dream, the architecture of the dream of the etheric. Is you've already given us some of that, but in general, and for you, what does your dream life landscape? look like is and i'm talking in a full sensory you know is there smell are you able to read writing uh do i mean we know that obviously there are dream rules and things shift and change but is there return architecture you actually return to even though it may shift is there a home uh these things no uh i am an entity of movement uh as you know, I used to go by the name Hermes. People still call me Hermes. Um, I won't go into that too too much, but Hermes is the archetype of movement. That's what Mercury is. Mercury is the planet of communication and of travel. And so uh, I never visit the same place in my dreams more than once. I never have recurring dreams. Some mm. dreams I, I will have more emphasis taste uh last night i had a very tactile dream i was writing 
on parchment paper with chicken bone. And I, oh, I wow. feel the the chicken bones within my hand and it had this very smooth but very archaic feeling and that was the highlight of the dream. So I would say ultimately it's the visual aspect which I like toy around with the most you know bright colors especially colors which can't be identified in mm-hmm. waking life I mean mm-hmm. I've seen the brightest blues in my dreams and I, I hope to one day return to see that yeah col- oh man color is amazing so also with the with these kind of nuts and bolts things do you have you in your life experienced what is commonly thought of as night terrors or nightmares and if you have at any point do you have any good examples for us of imagery hmm i used to have sleep paralysis for years Uh, and And so just pausing on that what was your experience with sleep paralysis it took many forms, but it usually consisted of murmurs, whispers, and even loud, incoherent voices, which I identified as, as demonic. Very scary. I felt a very tense presence within my body. O- oftentimes, I felt paralyzed from the neck down, and sometimes there would be some sort of shadow and sitting on top of me as is commonly uh, mm-hmm. said in the old hag story. Yes. Yes. But you know, the, yeah. pe- the period in which I was going through was uh, probably the most uh, disharmonious time of my life. I thought I was under attack. Mm. But little did I know that uh, when things get unresolved, that's when the universe starts to scream at you. That's when, excuse my French, you become the universe bitch. Yes. <laughs> so the we only way, yeah, the only way to get out of that is to really, uh, to really work on thyself. And I, I just want to mention this: it's unrelated that. There has been such an emphasis in religious, spiritual, and psychological circles on helping others as being the ultimate, uh, the ultimate expression of care and love and healing. That when we focus too much on thyself, this means we're becoming more and more separate, and it means we're selfish and should just pick ourselves up and look outward. But the inverse is oftentimes very true, that unless we take a good, hard look at ourselves, unless we really inhabit this body, mind, heart, unless we tear apart all of the knots and, and reconstruct a system which really creates coherent beingness, and this can involve seclusion or uh, 
health protocols, whatever have you. But to do this is to shake hands with yourself. And to do that, you shake hands with the universe. To do that is ultimately for more wisdom and more healing frequencies into the etheric plane. And you mentioned the etheric plane. Well, that is the blueprint for the physical. So we, we have this erroneous idea that un, unless we work at things first, it won't happen. But by merely sending intention, uh, but by merely having intention, this is coding the ether and spirit translates this slowly but surely into a terraformed reality. Yes. It's, okay, and so it, back in the in the nuts and bolts section, with the the paralysis and all of that, uh, beyond that, when when in the dream, I must. Do you fly? Have you had the flying experience? Does that happen for you? I have. I once swam towards the sun. Oh, in the yes, air. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first reaction. I I didn't want to fly in the clouds. Oh man, that that's incredible. Okay, and so so when you're flying, do are you making a swimming motion? How does it usually play out? Well, this only happened once. Uh, usually, when I'm lucid, I prefer do other things like running or pointing at things and creating scenery or skiing. I've skied down never-ending mountains many times. Oh, you're so Willy Wonka. I love it. (laughs) But (laughs) yes, I I, I did make a swimming motion. Of course, I, I didn't have to, but probably because I thought it was quite funny that I, I was swimming air. Right. Well, as I'm sure you know, I mean, I find that very rich and uh, it's it's it has a place for me. When did you get to the sun? We only believe air isn't a liquid. Right. (laughs) Well, perhaps birds fly in water and fish swim in air. Who knows? They just fly in it. They swim in a fish rather than a denser version of air. Uh-huh. <laughs> so did you get to the sun? I don't remember. You know, even even back then I, I I got to the sun and then everything else became a blur. I suppose I did. I can't remember it. That's how luminous the sun is, right? Indeed. So okay, and then in in the dreamscape when you're awakened within it which to me is all about i mean everything's really easily for me under ideas of lucidity waking life everything is just ideas of of lucidity it's like densities right and do you encounter others so not sleeping while you're a sleeper in in the dream when you're awakened and, and lucid, other 
entities, other other beings that outside of the ideas of all are one, others that seem to be driving their own vessels as you are driving yours in a state of what seems to be separateness. I can't say I have. And I, I know that sounds quite strange. Um, perhaps when I was younger, but it's been so long since uh, I've had those type of dreams without this perspective. But yeah, my dreams are my own. And any being who is there, um, I, I know it's simply myself. So I, I know that's not the answer you uh, you preferred, but I can't say I have any experience with feeling tampered with or feeling as if uh, I'm co-creating beside another entity. One time, my twin flame actually showed up in my dream. We were sleeping next to each other. I was having a wild dream, and she appeared. I told her that you're in my dream. She instantly said, I don't like it here. I'm leaving. <laughs> so she disappeared. And, you know, uh, their own. Love that example. I have no preconceived um, ideas of what I want you to say or what you should expect me to want. So just so you know, I'm, I'm just compiling a larger i'm doing all this for myself in an unselfish way if that makes sense i'm trying to understand myself better by understanding everyone around me i can feel it yes i can feel that intention so so with all this said how about we move into the ideas of um, you know, I want to get into the Metatronic overlay. And also, I want to maybe linger on an idea for a second the idea of recurrence and not reoccurrence, and the idea of deja vu and precognitive stuff, which I think is more commonly known these days as maybe time loops. Time slips. Or time slips, but looping back. So this idea of uh, the, well, just deja vu. Let's, let's park there for a minute. Absolutely. Yes. Well, deja vu is one of the most interesting things. I experience it every single week. And we have this idea that everything is linear, that we are this, we were that, and we will become something else. But if something is being experienced, that means it's already been created at a different level. So we're just experiencing the architecture that's already been laid out, quote, before this. That's why I like to say um, we're remembering in reverse what it was like 
to create what it was like to suffer, what it was like to achieve wholeness. And so because there is no beginning nor end to existence, it's just this constantly breath in and breath out. It all merges into singularity uh, once full realization has occurred, and then it breaks apart again, just like in the Hindu perspective that Brahma's breath uh, destroys and then rebuilds mm. the universe. Then that's not some external god. There are uh, many Hindus who 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 worship Brahma, mm-hmm. and, and 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 this is a defilement of the teachings. It, it's a personification. We require personifications because it's fun and because it's colorful. If I just say one or God or source, most people conjure up very bland <laughs> ideas. And but when we talk about something like Brahma, or uh, I often like to use Sophia. Mm-hmm. You know, this this gives it a personality. Uh, we can go on Google Images and kind of toy around with this archetype, archetypal image. So because everything is an in-breath and out-breath, and because that is like an automatic process, it means you are simply machinery within a larger orchestration called existence. And many people are very... uh, they're appalled at this idea because it, it takes away free will. It, it makes it seem like we're victims or something. But I find this to be very joyous that there is an underlying thread which connects everything, all life, all cells, all, all molecules, all, all aspects of thought, emotion, of sound, of color. And everything is simply one moment playing itself out in different faces, masks, sensualities, uh, discoveries, perspectives. And so because this is just one event, it's it's the in-breath and out-breath consistently on loop without time. Because of that, we can confuse a moment as being distinct from the current experience. And so we might have a, a moment and we'll say, hmm, it feels like this happened before, but consciously I'm aware it hasn't. So what's the deal? Am I in a dream? Am I in a simulation? Am I, uh, some people see this as, as being the result of MK Ultra, and I would say it's, it's all of the above. The more you bring forth those shadow aspects of yourself the more you feel at home in your environment and that's really what deja vu is it's a feeling of comfort within the moment because you're fully accepting the moment as something that has already happened and the glimpse which is usually a screenshot the way you're looking at at, at some placement of the buildings or the trees or the people, that snapshot sends you to a place where you say, I've already been here. But it's simply because you're comfortable in that environment that you can 
feel the oneness within the situation temporarily. But of course, many of us snap out of it, say, oh, deja vu, what a weird phenomena. I wonder what it is. And we start to look at it from a spooky or supernatural angle. And I think this takes out the magic of it. And I think the truth is very simple. Is it possible to push into a deja vu and expand it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, again, you're in the moment in deja vu. In deja vu, you're not thinking about what happened, what somebody said to you. You're not thinking about the so-called impending future, about to uh, think its jaws into your life. You're just in the now. So in that now moment, you can choose to what you just said, expand on the on the deja vu and keep it recurring. And I would say most of my waking life feels like deja vu. It feels as if I've already lived this and it feels as if uh, I have no other choice but to let the guiding moments of now take care of everything. And now, flip around the word now, it says won. <laughs> so you've absolutely won the game <laughs> when you're in the now moment. <laughs> That's so great. Okay, and so while we're, while we're on something that you, you mentioned here a second ago, the idea of intent and fate, the ideas of the fixed and the mutable. Mm, yes. <laughs> well, this has been a philosophical debate for... Oh, it's classic. <laughs> yes, it's for, forever. And free will is seen as, especially in the West, as the pinnacle of freedom, that you choose what you do, you choose how you operate, and that should be valued, that should be put on a pedestal. And that's exactly what the West is built on. It, it's built on this idea that uh, you can make things happen by lots of options, by complexity, and by having the will to make something of yourself or make nothing of yourself. But earlier we were talking about dualism. Mm -hmm. And of course, Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's when they left the Garden of Eden, when they started to split reality into opposing heads that can never be resolved. So free will, the word itself is a funny paradox. A will is an imposition of intent. It's a forceful act of, um, of motion. And a will is also something you write upon death or write or die. But we have free at the beginning of the phrase, free will. So how, how, how can you be free while signing something 
for your death. You can't. It's an oxymoron. And this is why the two paths that are spoken of in the esoteric world are both fallacies. There's ultimately no left path or right path unless we decide to divide ourselves. So everything is predetermined. Um, I spoke of this in my video on on band that <laughs> the um, that the only the only guiding force here is spirit, is the oneness. And I just mentioned when you're in the now, you won. Well, you won because you realized all is one. And the, uh, the only way we can be a part of something truly joyful, truly full of excitement, clarity, and ground goodness is by foregoing this idea of free will and allowing the innate creation to just unfold just like you said having the deja vu uh, moment expand but the uh the only time we need to let go is now now is the time we need to realize who we are, what this is, and how manifestation operates. And so we've been glorifying choice. It's this or that. You can walk into a store. You can choose to fill yourself with toxicity. You can choose to fill yourself with healthful things. Here in this Metatronic overlay, we have the ability poison ourselves, poison our minds, and forget who we are. And this mm -hmm. is one choice in opposition to the singularity, which is always expansive, always healing, always regenerative. And so it's free will, it's choice, which binds us. And this is what the devil horns are. We see all of these rulers around the world flashing the devil horns, and conspiracy theorists want to freak out and say they're mocking. Uh, they're a part of a secret club. No, they are projections. They are reflected back to you that polar schematic of choice. Mm -hmm. And without free will, there is only love. When you spoke earlier, so you say language like um, twin flame, and I'm. This is a question I ask everyone: is so it, it brings in, for me, that always brings in the idea of, for me, there's no separateness in that. So in, in and for example, in my search and my journeys, I'm actually calling this forth from myself. So it's, it, it is, it's not projected out in the world onto someone else as a canvas and my projection goes on it so what are your ideas on on soul so and this is semantics right soul and spirit and how they play and since we're in polarities here which is where 
you know, this is part of the realm. Uh, right. how, how are they, how are they playing out? How do you see those as playing out as individual thought forms, soul and spirit? They're usually intermingled, right? Mm -hmm. We'll say I'm a loving soul. They're a very wise spirit, mm -hmm. but they are quite distinct in their definition. Uh, a soul is what spirit has projected into an individualized existence and persona. That's very important, a persona. Yes, so very. Not, not every living thing has a persona. A rock does not have a persona. That doesn't mean they're not alive. That doesn't mean they don't experience or have consciousness. It's just there's no, uh, there's no distinguishable individuation on that level. Same thing with tree. The same thing with um, animals. Animals do not have personas. They operate more on a hive mind. But of course, we then get to humans and we have souls. So everything is made of spirits. So this rock or this animal or this tree I just talked about, these are pure manifestations of spirit. But it's not with that individuated soul. And so Many will say that animals are uh, actually higher dimensional beings. They have other perceptions that we don't. This is commonly said about uh, cats, dogs. And then we hear the same thing about plants. Plants have many extrasensory perceptions that we don't inherently understand. And this is because they are the reflection physically of this guiding force, which what spirit is. Spirit is simply the guiding force of the universe. It's pure creative energy. So, so within all that, and since you brought in animals, which is one of the things I'm deeply interested in, is how the other forms that we start to see as we, as we fragment out, uh, all the way into the crystalline. So in, in specific, some of the ones that are actually really revered for a different state of sentience, like dolphins, right? What are your thoughts on those types of life forms that I think collectively through, through the lens of science and even into philosophy where people have attributed certain animals as having a higher sentience. So, you know, dolphins are a good place to land. Cephalopods certainly fall in there and whales. What's going on there, Devin? You know, I don't know too much about the science of animals, and I have heard much about dolphins having extreme psychic abilities that uh, they've been able to communicate with autistic children. There's many reports of that if you guys do some searches. Um, if we go back to free will and 
choice and how choice itself is the ultimate splitting away from wholeness. A persona is the, is the result of having a will. Because a persona wants to stick out. Mm -hmm. It wants an individuated uh, creation which they can reflect and shine in all of their brilliance. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's, it's wonderful. I chose to have this experience of a persona and I am absolutely playing around with it in all of its glory. But animals don't have that handicap. Uh, they're still connected to what we could call instinct. I don't really like the word because it's painted with the idea that it's only made up of physical processes. Mm -hmm. But an animal doesn't require to learn how to speak or to learn how to be a part of a pack if they're a pack animal or even what to eat. Um, you can remove a kitten from its litter first day. If it survives and it is in the wild, it will know what food to eat inherently. But, yes. of course, here we are, uh, us humans, which we are currently, we have to nurture our children for quite some time. A baby cannot hold up its own head. It requires a mother. We've heard of feral children that uh, if one does not stimulate their child enough with language, or it doesn't have to be language, but just some form of communication and, and being an isolated human or child has a very difficult time, if not impossible time, reintegrating with society after enough time. And this is a manifestation of the perils of having a persona, because a persona requires consistent nurturing. Whereas you've talked about dolphins and a few other animals, they know inherently who they are. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that knowingness automatically connects them with what we could call the unseen, with these higher realms, which uh, are not currently accessible to most of us consciously because we're unlearning this persona. And that's what's very interesting about this um, this process which we, we might call ascension or singularity we're realizing how to connect to those awareness which are higher which the animals, which the plants which the cells in our bodies intuitively connect to without trying and we're doing this in these individuated forms with the memory of having a persona. And mm -hmm. so here's a funny paradox. It's like, yes, there's no such thing as a choice, but how lovely to have that choice at this moment between what we knew, which was full of these behaviors and guidelines, which we needed to exist. And now we're moving into the realms which we can just connect and then be. Does 
reality form as we experience it? Yes. Yes, the creator and the creation are tied in an infinite loop with no beginning or end. And so this is why it's often times um, difficult to fully digest the, the as within, so without principle. Um, we can say, okay, well, I can see how some things are manifestations of myself and others are separate, but it's all one event playing out. It's so simple. <laughs> and I, I wish I could uh, masturbate your mind more. I mean, we love to masturbate our mind, but we love to do so because it scares us that there is such thing as the guiding force of spirit, that there is a simplicity which simply unfolds. And it's complexity complexity which results from choice which results from free will which takes us into the realm of stagnation because complexity is fixed mm -hmm. <laughs> once you create a complex system whether that's uh within your behaviors or building a road or what have you um, you've defined reality you've put it into concrete terms but it's the emptiness which has more spontaneity and more malleability and How... this is what animals and plants and cells intuitively know yes <laughs> so on that and with all this with these ideas and you've you've even mentioned this all the chatter that goes on around the idea of ascension and which can certainly be tied into anyone that's um, feeling involved with any kind of say religious overlay or lens with the idea of ascending out of flesh and into whatever is next in their you know what's swimming around in their ideas in their mind in the mind where ideas live is I would like your understanding or understanding of density and matter and these layers as we go down as i understand it down into say rock crystal and mineral life the earth on which we stand i think i think i know what you're asking so Interrupt me if I'm getting you wrong. There's this erroneous idea within most religious and spiritual circles that the physical is something to move away from, that it's dirty, and that it's full of inherent um, suffering. Therefore, there's all of these conceptualizations about achieving a higher status by leaving this body by being saved either by a god or some messiah figure and I would say this in complete opposition to true oneness because 
You are your body. You are your body right now. This is something people don't want to hear because they have mm -hmm. pain in their body. They have stored <laughs> trauma within their brain. They have heart palpitations. They get tired. And because of this, they want to curse creation. They want to curse the physical and say, if only I was in a light body, things would be better. Things would be more harmonious for my experience. But you cannot avoid yourself. And so, as, <laughs> as we talked about earlier, when one dies, they carry that consciousness along to the next realm. There's this idea that when one dies, uh, no matter what state of frequency they're in, all of a sudden they will be fully realized, like they'll be gone from the physical prison and able to finally feel the, the majesty of their light body without the restraint. <laughs> but uh, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. You inhabit the exact consciousness you're in right now. And this is where you are in other crevices of the universe. And so the only way to ascend would be to make complete peace, shake hands with the body, shake hands with the material, and not see it as something we need to shy away from. Now, of course... Hello? Hello? Hi. Uh, sorry, I got a weird sound on my end. Uh, where your, was I? It's the archons. <laughs> <laughs> so the... Uh, so yeah, I disagree with many of the ascensional teachings because it's all about 3D being a doomed reality. But I'm only doomed if I'm viewing the creation as separate from myself. So we could say the third dimensional perspective is, yeah, I'm a pawn, somebody else's game, or at the very least, I'm not fully in control of my experience and maybe there's a higher experience better and then we pass into the fourth dimension and of course that's when we have the dimension of time but we're able to realize that well time is an illusion and therefore i'm not a pawn therefore i'm eternal if everything is a now moment that means there will always be a now moment to inhabit so what's the big deal there is no big deal. And that's when we can finally reach up into what some would call the fifth dimensional perspective. And this is fully realizing that as within, so without principle. And with that perspective, the only work to be done is on thyself. So we hear of hopes of the Pleiadians and the Arcturians coming or ascended masters being channeled. Um, and there's Lots of great people who are quite deceived by thinking the gods are hanging out in some heavenly place, looking down on us, spitting on us, and hoping that we can finally um, we can finally leave this place by fate. But nothing is going to happen unless one makes it happen. But of course, this is the paradox. This is the paradox, because earlier I was saying there's no such thing as free will, that everything is ultimately or 
orchestrated by a force which isn't in persona, which isn't in an individualized form. Mm-hmm. So this is why language is uh, oftentimes a, a peril when we're talking about these things, because words itself are loaded with dualism and ex- extreme polarity. Absolutely. And, and this is what is so tricky with within the, the spell work of it. Uh, so you brought in something that was that was on my list here. And I wanted to I wanted to get into and I. I want to kind of parallel it with another another idea. So I want to kind of marry a couple thoughts language and see where you take them so let's look at the idea or concept of again this is linearity right reincarnation and then also since we were talking density and matter and all that the idea of these of the dimensions as are in the common vernacular right now in particular, you know, of course, everyone's talking this shift in consciousness and everyone feels that and everything. So your idea on reincarnation and how does all of this weave into other dimensions? Well, as we all know here, it's not a secret. Reincarnation is the process where you are recycled after death for another <laughs> incarnation here on Earth. Wonderful. Well, you're, you're, and and so, generally, you're white. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky. And, and this yeah. is seen as uh, a continuous process in the Hindu and Buddhist perspective until one breaks free, which is moksha. Yes. Now, in the vocabulary, moksha is seen as something achieved when one wills it into existence. So unless we decide to become a monk and meditate our way to moksha or what have you, then we won't achieve it. But I'm informing, it is reincarnation which is actually the automatic process which brings us to moksha because dualism needs to be purged and this is the realm of dualism there is what we could conceptualize as a holographic overlay on on the earth and earth is an anagram for heart and so when one is not in the heart one is automatically in dualism because the mind wants to break apart and zero in and crush things but the heart wants to feel things and let them be so because of this timeline of dualism we're seemingly trapped in because of this dualism acts like an algorithm which fits Uh out Every manifestation in dualism can offer, but this is all accomplished through spirit by means of reincarnation. And so all of us have 
live lives where we've been warmongered, where we've been peasants, where we've been abused, where we have been the abused, even lives where we've lived relatively well but had addiction problems or anger issues, what have you. And all of this is in constant motion. We've been going round and round on these loops of time. How do we know on that's the just... sine wave right. of Saturn. Yeah. On the sine wave of Saturn. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, we've been going round and round on what I call the, the sine wave of Saturn to accomplish what is being felt right now. So many of us just intuitively know, you know, this is, this is the end, or, or we are reaching the end. The reincarnation soul recycling system had its purpose, absolutely. We needed to purge all of these aspects of ourselves in order to move on. And that's merely what this existence is, just like a dream. We've just had to purge ourselves. And I, I have a video uh, um, about purgatory. Yes. And how this is in, indeed what Dante and what the Catholics refer to as purgatory. And you know this because dualism exists, because you have been purged. <laughs> and I don't care who you are. You've been purging. I know you have. You've gone through shit. And that's absolutely uh the the mechanism of reincarnation but reincarnation is full of birth death just like how our lives are split into the waking dream and the sleeping dream. Mm -hmm. so again we have this and that this is dualism it's it's this concept which has manifested into this split existence and Again, the scientific mind, the rational mind uh, cannot make sense of this. This is what quantum physics just can't get. And this is why I, I laugh at what quantum physics is doing right now. There's lots of complex documentaries lately about uh, all of these mathematical equations, and they're trying to measure the speed of light and compare that with how consciousness unfolds together They're with simulation theory and they're trying to complexify complexify it but that they're missing the main component which is of course that this is just an automatic timeline running its course and the matter we see is like a sidekick to this process and this is why we zero in on matter well it's 99.9 percent .9 empty space and of course <laughs> uh Many scientists have supposedly solved the age-old question, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there <laughs> to hear it, does a sound occur? And the answer is no, unless there is a conscious observer. And I would say a conscious observer who has individuated persona. Mm. That means uh, these aspects of spirit don't end up materializing into 3D, just like in a video game. You know, when you're focused on one part of the game, it's rendered, but all around you, it's 
it's simply ones and, and zeros and, until your senses are directed towards it. So um, after reincarnation, you mentioned another topic. I, I'm sorry, I, I went off. Oh, no, no, sorry. I want to see what, Jerry, do you remember what you wanted to uh, interject in here? <clears throat> yeah, you were talking about past lives and things, and I've always <clears throat> wondered, how do we know those aren't just stories, back backstories or layers of, of something else to shape this reality that we installed? You mean when people claim they have past life memories or when they go under hypnosis for I don't, regression? I don't, I don't want to say claims of I'm saying people who have memories of past lives, just leave it at that. Where they got that, I don't care. But, well, I do care. That's not the point. <laughs> I'm not talking like David Jacobs-style alien abduction and past life type of regression, no. But Okay people who have legitimate memory of past lives or a past life where's where's the cutoff between reality and backstory backfill you know well there is none yeah and 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 that's what can be so c confusing when we're trying to zero in on the truth i mean all of us uh in this conversation, we've had visions either in waking life dreams or during the hypnogagic state where <laughs> it's, it's so incomprehensible and to dive into it and put a magnifying glass on that would feel absurd. Like what would we even gain from that? The experience happened. It lingered in our memory for some time and maybe I got up and now now it's gone. Now it's just a distant daydream. So I have met many beings who claim that uh, their dreams are full uh, of interactions and there's some queen or priestess of the 11th dimension and they go back to that palace in every dream and they're able to basically have a, a colorful world uh, in their own. And can we do this? Our minds, absolutely. What is schizophrenia? What is having an imaginary best friend as a child? It's it's all the mind. It's all manifestation. And so when somebody has these memories of a past life, and they really are attached to it, and they know it detail by detail, what that tells me is, well, you've either cons constructed an existence in uh, an independent timeline, which you're able to kind of play out over and over again and experience like you could an imaginary best friend, or you actually have that past life and there is such significant lessons to be learned from that. And perhaps there's unresolved trauma or something like that. And the memories stick for good reason that these feelings, these images are here to help guide us this life. I'll tell you right now, I have very, very, very few memories from past lives, if any. I have a few glimpses, but knowing 
the path I'm on and what my journey has been like, I haven't needed any reminders from past mm. lives. And, and, and some people actually need these reminders to just tell them that they're eternal. You know, because mm-hmm. if, if you're brought up, say, in standard religious household, and you're not exposed to the concepts of reincarnation and the eternal spirit and whatnot, then, well, I have these memories, and they seem to be from a prior existence. So, right there, I'd like to actually ruminate a bit. The idea of eternity and eternal beings. Ah, my favorite topic. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so you're kind of speaking of the difference between what I call living souls versus soulless being or organic portal. Organic portal. I love uh, organic um, portal. NPCs. <laughs> NPCs, yes. That's a perfect name for them. So I actually don't really like the term organic portals anymore because I find many confuse that with something organic which seems to be natural and eternal. But it's this idea that there are a finite number of players existing in this overlay. And that every other representation, whether it's a place or a person, is simply a temporary aspect of a dualistic consciousness to act as filler. So let's suppose that there are a group of eternal souls, eternal beings, who are multidimensional, truly, who are, yes, in, quote, third-dimensional form, but also exist outside of here in many other times. Well, this would mean that we are collectively the creative force of that oneness of Brahma. And therefore, that means we can't be in a realm of dualism together. We would require some background characters in order to swim in this playpen of purgatory. So most being here are not of an eternal consciousness they're temporary and how it works this so of course we've gone through reincarnation and many of us are very familiar with the moon and how the moon's um, symbolism has been tied in with soul recycling mm-hmm. now the living souls are the archetype of creation so again we're going into plants and animals and cells and everything else, well, one might ask, oh, okay, well, you're describing human beings. What about all of this other life here? Well, man is the measurement of the universe. Man is a microcosm of the macrocosm. And oftentimes, we can 
have visions of animals. The indigenous tribes uh, in North America and South America, they used animals as these archetypes within themselves. That's why they would call themselves names such as Lone Wolf or Great Bear, because they identified these parts of existence not only as, as beings, but as archetypes. Because again, these aren't individuated aspects of reality. And so we are the individuation. The living souls are the individuation existing within a sea of non-individuated energy, which is displaying itself as the very archetypes which we can inhabit. Now, there's this matrix that we're in, and many see it as quite evil, quite parasitic. Most people are not what we would call awake. Most people do not give two shits about wisdom. Most people seem to be stuck in a sort of daze in consumerism and in avoiding the true <laughs> fundamentals, which we are discovering, everyone who's listening to this, who's on this. So what's the deal? Well, the deal is they're not eternal. They're temporary. They are simply the projected aspects of our decision to diverge from wholeness. And what ends up happening is an, a parasitic hive mind develops independence from wholeness. So we hear the word Satan. Well, that sounds like Satan because the 10 speaks of the one and the zero. This is the binary system that we're in. Well, what's binary? Choice is binary. Dualism is binary. Birth and death is binary. And what else is binary as defined by the matrix? Well, computers, artificial intelligence, everything that runs off of code, which can be turned off. You can turn off a laptop, turn off a machine. So these are all pointing to the fact that all around us is a sea of ones and zeros. And the Matrix movie spoke about this. And these are the background. But there are indeed living souls here. And uh, can I go into the, the North Pole? Yes, please. Yes. Okay, so th this is my main topic of emphasis. It's on the North Pole. And this is what we could call the center. The center, whether you're a flat earther or not, the North Pole is the center. And from it, you have beautiful light, the Aurora Borealis. Now, what is the Aurora Borealis? I'm, we're told it's simply the result of the sun the sun's light colliding with photons in the atmosphere, and it's just like an optical illusion. It's, it's vibrating photons, and that's all it is. But, of course, we know science to be 
full of dead end explanations. This is not the case at all. If you look at chakra chart, see that the heart chakra is the bridge. It is the center. The heart chakra is emerald. Devin, Jerry, I'm here. I'm here. Devin, he was getting too excited. Devin, since we can't see him, we don't know if his mouse is moving. <clears throat> I bet his phone crashed. The Zoom app can get get your phone muddy hot. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, now yeah, we can. Yeah, now we can. Oh, okay, I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> it was interesting timing. It's the Archons. <laughs> and I am kidding, by the way. <laughs> okay, so Aurora Borealis. Yes, and so... The, it's uh, an aura. It's an aura. It's green because the heart chakra is green. Yeah, well, the, the emerald energy pouring out from the North Pole, it's, it's heart essence. It's not a light. It is literally heart energy that is serving as a placeholder at the center at this zero point. So I have many videos on this. the earth is encased in a toroidal field, and this is the same field our heart generate so if the center is the normal pole this that is the zero point and that is heart s that has been put under the toroidal compression field because the toroidal field if you just look at it look at it the center is hot it's compressed it's it's not funneling out it's it's being contained so that's exactly what's happening here. There are living souls who are connected to this heart energy. This is where creativity, synchronicity, manifestation, it's where all of this comes from. It's this real energy. It's the emanation of, of Sophia. If, if you're a Gnostic, we would call it Sophia Akama. And... This compression field, it's not the imposition of some dictatorial force in another dimension. It's the result of the living souls deciding to abandon the heart state in our perception in order to channel ourselves holographically into a game of fragmentation. And so in this system, uh, we've had the opportunity to live within judgments and comparisons and labels and us versus them scenarios, but ultimately it's all an illusion and everything shall merge back into that singularity point, into the heart, into the aurora borealis. And this is the emerald uh, city spoken of in the Wizard of Oz. Oz is short for Osiris. <laughs> And, of course, Osiris is the ruler of the land of the dead. So some might call this the land of the dead because uh, it seems like everywhere we look, there's a bunch of bots, there's a bunch of NPCs. What can explain this? Well, it's exactly as it, uh, it appears once we can get out of the reactive mode. If we want to believe 
everything with our senses, we will be drastically misled. And that is the hilarious thing about this timeline we're on is that one of the biggest goals is to not deceive ourselves with the, the illusion. We need to separate ourselves from what we see and what we feel, what we perceive and what just comes intuitive. So there's a lot of stories about the North Pole, very sacred space. Many of us have heard of the Hollow Earth report from Admiral Byrd from the yes. 1920s. He met with benevolent giants there and saw advanced spacecraft, saw woolly mammoth, uh, luscious forest. Every one there was benevolent. We hear a very compelling story from Olaf Jansen from a book titled The Smoky God from the late 1800s. And this is about a Norwegian man who sailed to the North Pole with his father, ended up staying there for quite some time. And again, it's the same story. Benevolent giants, lots of scenery, uh, lots of technology, and a whole world that operated on, on different mechanism so what are all stories trying to tell us there's a lot of mythology speaking of the north pole uh, we have in the mandian gnostic tales stories of the north pole we also have lots of vedic scripture which seems to point at the north pole being a sacred place and north pole itself is an anagram for portal or port pole and North is an anagram for throne. And so what's all of this pointing to? Is, is there a race of gods at the center? Do we need to go to the North Pole in order to free ourselves from the energy extraction uh, matrix? Well, no. These stories are clues trying to inform us, yes, there is absolutely us. A sacred activity at the North Pole, but these giants spoken of in the text, that's not separate from me. That's a form of the living souls, which we will inhabit once this timeline is crushed, is is faded away, has has ran its course. So it's this idea that he already exists at the center we never left the north pole we are merely shadow extension playing around in this timeline we got caught up in it and now we have to achieve wholeness to merge back but it's an automatic process and this is why we have shadows on the ground mm. that shadow is you you're not this avatar. You are that shadow. Everything out here casts a shadow. It's a funny way of telling us, you know, it's, it's merely a holographic representation. There's no solidity. And of course, if there is solidity, if this is a doomed timeline where everything is going to crumble, the oceans are polluted, and that's that uh, environmental destruction and of of DNA is irreparable. 
and that's that. No, 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 no. We, we need to start viewing these things more as cartoonish caricatures of what happens when we inhabit our own night. It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. The universe is not unforgiving. The universe is not at place. And free will is not going to fuck up. This, we're not going to end up being slaves to something which in our hearts we know is something we don't wish to inhabit. And, and so truthfully, our current situation and timeline, it's, it's no different than the basic structure of fairy tales and stories of heroes. Um, in fairy tales, the good guys who we call the living soul, the real breathing beings here who are getting through this and all of its craziness amidst the NPCs. In fairy tales, the good guys are free spirits. Think of any Disney. They're usually very joyful deep down. They're explorative, but they get involved in some conflict and their goals of peace are halted by the force. So the evil character might have uh, like an army of clones or soldiers. Uh, and this represents a force that uses fear, manipulation, and a binary hive mind in order to kind of test. Because that's truly what these Disney movies and all of these stories are. It's the main character, the protagonist, being put through a test. Trials and tribulations ensue. And when everything seems like it's gone to shit, it's revealed that the evil can, it can actually be easily vanquished. There's usually a very weak spot that the evil character or force has. And uh, it's courage and love which dissolves the situation. So I, I truly I truly think happily ever after is is where this situation is headed. And it's interesting. Fairy tales begin with once upon a time. Why once upon a time? Why time? Well time is the sine wave. It's the ebb and flow. It's what's locked us into the holographic holding space via the reincarnation soul recycling system because we need time in order to flesh out these dualistic manifestations. And that's why time has actually been such a great teacher and it's allowed us a safe because nothing we're doing here is pervading into irreparable reality. Everything here is like a uh, it's like one of those places that they used to put mentally ill patients with straight jackets. There's a padded ceiling and padded floor and padded yeah, the asylum. And you can bounce mm -hmm. around all you want. Yeah, you can bounce around, you can go crazy, but you're not going to hurt yourself. You're not going to hurt the wall. So this is a perspective I have not heard anyone else say, and it is quite bold, but nothing here has been damaged. Nothing here has been defiled. 
and everything is going to return to its original state. When we look at nature, what about global warming? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Yeah. So this this kind of brings me to the Lord of the Rings. I I just thought of that movie, and I think it kind of allegorizes the situation, which is the fall. And I want to make a note. We always say we're awakening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're awakening. And then on the converse, (laughs) we say we fell into matter or we fell into this crappy situation. Well, you fall asleep. And again, if we think of this idea having multidimensional forms existing at the zero point amidst the emerald aurora borealis projecting shadow manifestation outwardly into a toroidal field in order to resolve dualism just to experiment go back if we can think of this then we can think of these forms of ourselves at the center as sleep like perhaps we are sleeping at the center and this awakening process is the awakening of these selves and who knows at some point when a critical mass has been reached the living souls will wake up at the center in these forms or those forms will merge with this form Mm. who knows we also say we fall in love yes interesting fall in love it's a well-known term as you know so it's and this plays more into the the duality aspect, you know, with the possible darker side of ideas of falling and the neutral side of falling, which could also be I fall asleep. I'm wondering, is it possible in the idea of duality, in the idea of all of this that has culminated within this? conversation is it possible that we need the idea of dreaming to help us awaken because since we're in the realm of duality and what is more dualistic than being awake and then being asleep (laughs) 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 is you know where are you where are you with that well, what I heard you just ask is, could we come up with a protocol to awaken more? So what you just laid out was, could, could we use our, our, our dream to help yes. us happen? Well, I yes. say yes, but I also say there are many different avenues to the same path. And what we feel gravitated towards is indeed what we we require to return back to the center. And so if dream work is what you wish to do, then I say do it. If you look at the Toronto field, the zero point, the center, it's it's on lockdown, but at the same time, it's creating all of the energy around it. And then that energy it merges back into the center. And so 
by definition, everything out here must come back into singularity. So I have no doubt in my mind. There's no way through the stuff. There's no way to be trapped in this situation. We already have been trapped. We've already felt the disconnection from spirit and from our eternal nature. Uh, once upon a time, not too recently, we all thought we were beasts. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the reason this unveiling is quickening is because the process is automatic. It's called a timeline for a reason. A timeline that has a beginning and an end. And this is why, of course, who says I am the Alpha and the Omega? This is the, uh, the monotheistic God. And it's, it's this figure which has pervaded our mind about the eternal being separate from that somewhere in the high, if there is a, uh, something, there's a deity or a force, we're worthless. But if a god, this persona is claiming itself to be the beginning and end, the alpha and omega, well, that means that everything that represents will perish. And of course, for the Gnostics who are listening to this, uh, you're well aware that what we would call the monotheistic God is the Demi. Mm -hmm. But here's what I say about the Demi. And uh, are you familiar with the myth of Sophia? I am, yes. I'm sure Jerry is. Yeah. So, he, But yeah, for the so, sake of people that are not. Yes, it's the quintessential Gnostic tale. Sophia is the personification of wisdom, breaks apart from the high heavens, what you would call the Pleroma, and ends up binding herself to matter. And in doing so, accidentally, or some would say intentionally create the demi which is uh, basically the opposite of, 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 of Sophia arrogant demanding bloodthirsty but in the context of this myth most have taken it at, at face value they well, the Demiurge is some being who controls this realm. And the same way Sophia is bound to matter, we are bound to matter, and now the Demiurge runs the show. But as I was reading it, I said, no, 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 no. All of the interpretation is quite incorrect. Sophia has a shadow self, and the mm -hmm. shadow self is the Demiurge. Mm -hmm. Because the Demiurge came from her. And of course, the tale says Sophia was in turmoil, was in, in fear, because of course she broke off from that high heavenly place. And so now there's this beast that she's entangled. Well, what's this the story? This is the story of the of the living soul that we ended up projecting a beast with its seemingly own mind. And so we've struggled with that beast. And that beast has been pervasive. 
been quite powerful, but it's also allowed us to disconnect from everything eternal. And that has its own value. You see, there's no right and wrong. There, there's no good and bad. I sometimes like joke and, and say, I came here to listen to rap music and eat pizza. <laughs> you know, what, and you're what, all out of pizza. What, <laughs> where else could I have that dense experience other than here? Nowhere else. So there's much value in splitting away from the infinite. And I feel a lot of us have been going through growing pains after waking up because we wake up and things don't seem to change. They don't seem to get easier. It seems to present ourselves with uh, more issues. And of course, we all end up having the same thoughts that, well, I Maybe I should have taken the, the blue pill. Perhaps a, ignorance is bliss. And so, of course, now we're feeling the discomfort of this realm. We're, we're feeling more and more uh, alien to the situation because the conscious and subconscious are merging. The etheric and physical are becoming one. And I would say the shadow and our true forms at the center are being reconciled. So I was starting to talk about the Lord of the Ring. And uh, in the Lord of the Ring series, we have Sauron. And Sauron is the antagonist. His name is very close to Saturn. And Saturn. Uh, for those who are familiar with astrology, uh, is the ruler of time, ruler of distance. This mm -hmm. is Father Time, and Father Time is akin to the Grim Reaper. And this is why Saturn is at the top of the, the planetary hierarchy of seven, because time is currently intermingled into this existence. So Father Time represents the shadow projection of ultimate destruction, pretty much. This is what Sauron in Lord of the Ring represents. And so time, it's delivered the world into a seemingly like linear monochrome projection so Sauron in Lord of the Rings, he's a formless entity. He sometimes takes forms, but he truly is a force that's beyond physical. This is the, the demi. The demiurge is the result of what happened when we decided to experiment with fragmentation. So what is Sauron trying to accomplish in Lord of the Rings? Well, well he's not trying to do one thing. He's just trying to trap Middle Earth into an energy-sucking paradigm. He wants to inflict fear. Uh, there's really no point. I mean, if you watch the the movie, he's just he's creating orcs for no reason, which are these entities that are ugly and bloodthirsty, and uh, and Middle Earth ends up being swamped by this army of orcs, which uphold 
Sauron's will. Well, this is similar to the AI soulless beings, which surround us like non-player characters. So ultimately, the Lord of the Rings, it ends up where everything is reconciled. There's lots of battles. There's lots of wars which are waged. There's lots of pain. There's lots of suffering. And everyone, including the elves, including the humans in this tale, they all just want peace to be the status quo again. And at the end, we find this in, in, indeed happens. And we find they sit atop what looks exactly like the structure of Dante's purgatory. <laughs> so the very end of Lord of the Rings is showing us that they have purged everything and now they can be in their full glory. Now, obviously, that's the movie. Things here aren't that that's also, violent and dramatic. That's also an alchemical yeah. allegory to a degree. One hundred percent. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, you're right on. I I agree. Sauron is the uh, the hidden hand, if you will, the adversary that is a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, and to that, and I never thought about what what what's his end game. You know, what's the end game of anyone like that? And it, there probably isn't one because they're so focused on what they're doing they're they're conquering if you will but they don't have an end game right they're 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 void of being i mean and and this is true you just <laughs> said it every evil character whether it's a video game or something else they're not generally trying to build anything to use that creation they're not uh they're they're not trying to do anything but keep the destruction, keep the separation between oppressor and slave. So it's Maybe, it's hilarious that yeah. yeah. I was yeah. No, I was gonna say they're you know they're racing each other to become the best supervillain. It's about the only thing I could think of. Hmm. You know, and th and this is indeed why uh, it is a diversion to look at the happening of the so-called elite and go down the different rabbit holes of the conspiracy theories. It's a falsity to observe these things, these entities, as in control. Because... <laughs> It couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, we hear this all the time, but it's absolutely true. Love overpowers fear all the time. The only way you can be caught up in conflict within the energy extraction matrix is through consent. I mean, you consent to purchase poisonous food. You consent. Mm -hmm. To turn on the TV, be afraid. You can send to let what Donald Trump is saying into your inner space and create turmoil within that. Our attention and how we 
interact day to day is taken for granted a lot of times because we're so focused on doing. And this is what uh, you said, Jerry. It seems like that's all characters want to do. They're so focused on doing. They have all of these plans and uh, all of these blueprints. But meanwhile, what do the good characters have? They have soul. They have heart. They refuse to be intimidated. And along the way, scared, feel uh, like victims. But the reason everything here is done according to complexity and bureaucracy is because the controller is what, what we would call the controllers can only operate within a fixed a fixed system. There's no spontaneity. There's no intuition there. Emptiness scares them. And this is why the best reaction one can give to the energy extraction matrix is no reaction, is a middle finger. And mm -hmm. that, even though I, I choose laughter personally, within here, I don't need to participate. Laughter. That's a beautiful, <laughs> I, I just laugh at them. Reaction yeah. as well. Yeah, because you know, there's these there's these ideas that everything is just going to end up being victimized to the elite and their governments and their money and everything else. But if we want to see hierarchy, well have to project ourselves into a timeline with a toroidal compression field. And so what that ends up manifesting? Well, it's these bizarre institutions like the UN, like all of these <laughs> different think tanks. The Trilateral and Commission. Yes, and everything <laughs> is so uh, secretive. And all of a sudden, there's all these hand signs and the checkerboard symbolism everywhere. And pillars and NASA has the symbolism and it seems to be mocking us but it's not it's simply because when people have things to hide well they laugh at you and they don't tell you outwardly they tell you in code but if I am fully embodied in my being I have no secret there's nothing I can hide from the universe everything Stored into the Akashic record. So, why would I hide? And not only that, why would I create a hierarchy to hide? It's like, are we going to huddle together and cower away from our hearts, cower away from existence? I don't think so. So, the elite, as far as I'm concerned, are just puppets when it comes to this game. And they tell us they're just chess pieces on a checkerboard. This is what the checkerboard <laughs> is symbolizing. You know? Indeed. We have the black and white, this or that, the good and the bad. And they're playing out the game. And I like to say it's about how you end it, not how you began it or even what happened. And so right now, in the now, how you are, what you are expressing, that is what matters. You can't 
look back 10 years and say, oh, I, I was in my prime then. Or I, I was mm-hmm. a, a musician. Now I'm, I, I'm not. That is absurd. And so it's how we, we end this game which defines how creation rearranges itself. It's incredibly possible that every being started out as a living soul. We have this eternal consciousness. We break apart. But we get wrapped up, wrapped up to so many illusions that we shatter our soul, which is very, very possible. Your soul, your individuation can, can fragmentize so much that you simply become a vessel for your environment to play with. This is why we hear of walking, possession, uh, this is not because of evil. This is because the being who is being possessed uh, has such deep trauma at a soul level that they are not themselves anymore. And so, so, question, question. So, is yeah. that possessing entity then? Do you think it's it's an aspect of their higher self, their higher self, or yes? <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you already know my answer. I do. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's a hell that they live out until that resolve. But I want to briefly get the timelines and multidimensionality and quantum jumping because we're constantly weaving in and out of of different modes of existence and different realms. We hear of the Mandela effect. And within conspiracy theories, it's said, well, particle colliders like CERN or black magic is what's creating these changes in reality that we call the Mandela effect. And it's nefarious activity. But my perspective is, no, this signifies that we have actually moved timeline. We have jumped realm. We are no longer in the same space and in the same type of physicality we were. And because everyone has a different persona, that persona pervades all other timelines. So it's incredibly possible to jump and therefore render a significant portion of those within this timeline void. And this could be an explanation for soulless being, for organic force, that at one point everything was living and eternal and full, and a portion of that population, by means of their frequency by means of their intent jumped onto a timeline where the harshness of linearity was deactivated and therefore a space was opened up at the center and we can ponder about this all day where things begin and end what happened versus what is going to happen uh i just find it very interesting that more and more people think well, this isn't the realm I grew up in. You know, the sun is quite luminous. It used to be a yellow color. Now it's a white color, pure white. 
at high noon. That never happened before. So it's all fascinating. I have I have a question, and then I think there are a couple from the chat we need to um, wrap soon. Sadly, I can't believe how fast it goes. What is the difference, and this ties into everything you were just saying, and I, I just want your words as a wrapping around this, or your ideas or thoughts. The difference between birth and death. Ultimately, there is no. <laughs> birth is just the outcome of a death which happened. We go through many deaths and births within our dreams, within this waking dream. Everything is renewal and, and destruction within dualism. And so, of course, we find out that somebody close to us dies and then a birth comes a few years later, what is that? Well, could be the same being. It could be the same force that allowed that being to die is now allowing a birth. Everything has growth and decay within this, uh, this matrix. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's also very paradoxical. Many are afraid of death. But death is much more peaceful than birth. Birth typically is very loud, full of crying, full of pain. That's how it's been, but de de um, death is very, uh, very tranquil. It's very calm. You lose your senses and your feelings long before one leaves the body. So it's the same thing with the past and the future. There's ultimately no difference because what we do in the now can terraform how the past interacts with the now. That ultimately affects how the future interacts with our perception of how things happen. I so, just I just made a painting, um, which is one of the things I enjoy doing, where I I played with the concept through the looking glass, obviously, that's an Alice reference. However, in tied into birth death, and you know, where it's the one side is walking through is, you know, in its fleshy form, and the other side in symbol, of course, it's all in token. It's all in token. It's all symbolic. The other side is in the skeletal form. And yet it's the same portal. This the skeleton could walk back through. And so it it, to me, it seems like that central point in the toroidal where you, where you take the, the line and, and put the points together. And it's the same point in the toroidal field. Ah, fascinating. Yeah, I would love to see that painting. Do you see what I'm, the picture I'm painting for you verbally right now? Yeah. Yes. 
so that that was um i wanted your concept on it i i don't want to end so we have questions i think not jerry not my last look i think that uh um, all right i got there, one now oh, okay nate, nate asked before cult fan asked about um your what i, God, I can't remember what it was the rising sun what's what what oh, sign yeah. are you here it is i found it please ask him what, about his chart your rising and sun and your moon and mercury If you choose to divulge. I'm a sun Pisces. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm a sun Pisces. I'm a rising Virgo. I'm a moon Aquarius. Mm. <laughs> Mer Mercury's Jupiter. Oh, nice. And my my Mars is in Aries. My Mars is in Aries as well. That's the only question we had. No, there's raised. one more I was typing. <laughs> no, that was the only I one. Really... Sorry, someone else had repeated his. <laughs> Crypto Mystic repeated a cult fan's question for me. That's what, there's not two. So that's all I got. Thank you. Yep, no mas. Okay, cool. That so, just that Devin, just means that you answered everyone's questions. Yeah, I'm ahead sure. Of time. <laughs> I no doubt about it. There were you. Uh, this is why I'm actually not speaking much in this whole thing is because you were you were weaving round into things I was going to ask that would have just been redundant. So, and I think that if anyone, I think everyone should check out your videos. So, and I put links for all that into the description, and they'll be in the show notes. Well, they're in the show notes now on Discord, and they'll be in the show notes on the podcast. Also, links so, to his Bandcamp site. Yes. Oh man, all of it, all things Devin are just great, in my opinion. So, it, you know, this is where you can plug something or anything, whatever. The only thing I have to say is I'm working on my second album under the name Hermes Trismegistus. It's going to be uh, centered again around Sophia, and it will probably be released once again May 14. <laughs> Good numbers. Well, that's a nine, right? Yes. Oh, I forgot. Um, Neil Glimmer, who is a fellow YouTuber, him and I uh, will be coming out soon with season two of The Greatest Secret, which is a little fun series we started earlier last year, and we never got around to doing more than three episodes. So that will be coming out soon. But all of the content is free. All of the music is free um, on my band camp. You can pay $0 if you want. 
pay a thousand dollars if you want. I care That's not. How Jerry and I do it. You connect with the music <laughs> and and I do want to mention I, I I make sure to make it clear, but all of my music in my videos is 432 hertz, and all of the music in my albums is 432 hertz. This is the frequency of the heart. It's incredibly healing, and it creates. Um, feelings of expansion when you listen to it so the music is is great for dancing for meditating but if people feel kind of lovey-dovey after one of my videos which uh i find can be the case it's it's because i am serenading your ears covertly for 32 <laughs> bring it on <laughs> this was fantastic devin i um I, now i'm getting questions oh okay you bastards no, I'm <laughs> have, what are the questions? Uh, have you ever heard of? Uh, do you know of uh, Santos Bonacci? Yes, yeah. I do. I love his. Uh, yeah, we interviewed each other a few times. Is that the only question? Well, they're saying they asked questions, but I can't find them, and I'm ending the show, so I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man sorry people uh and thank you everyone out there for being here Devin. this was a great pleasure i'd love to have you on like another show i'd love to dive in more even a round table would be awesome absolutely yeah i had really really wonderful time uh talking very last this, yeah, and I am in gratitude. Thank you. And thank you to all the people that listen and the people in the future that will find this on our podcast and I got enjoy one, this. I got one more question. And this is, it's only because it's BB. Uh, do you think that traumatic deaths end in serenity? Serenity now. Well, that's a good question. Hi, BB, by the way. You said serenity, correct? Well, she did, yes. Dramatic death and serenity. It's all individual. There's many ways the inner demons can come out and express themselves. And many in reincarnation circles know that Sometimes violent deaths are the result of something one did either in this life or in a past life. And that even though it, it might seem to be unlucky or full of sadness during the event, it's ultimately a sort of karmic payback. It's, it's the resolution to an imbalance that ends created once upon a time so yeah if if a traumatic death is what's needed to make space for a new new existence a new territory of perception then it's entirely possible i just want to mention 
we can't really make blanket statements about the specific events. You know, people oftentimes will ask me about synchronicity and what certain numbers mean mm-hmm. specifically. And, I, and I'll say, well, pay attention to your state of mind and heart when you're observing those numbers. And, and over time, you will find the significance of those numbers for yourself. Of course, we can look up the I Ching or like Doreen Virtue angel numbers, but you are the measurement of your experience. So we can take guidelines, we can take pointers, and sometimes it's the mystery which we must be comfortable. It's it's a beautiful mystery we're all inhabiting. None of us have all pieces of the puzzle, but if, if we live in in truth and, and with that frequency of truth and not get caught up in the devil's details, then you know, we can find comfort within that. Indeed. I really like to place that concept in a lot of my time arts pieces, uh, the secret of the mystery and present it in, in interesting ways. That's well put there. Of course. All right. All right. Well, that's it. Well, thank you, Devin, so much for being on the show. We really had a great chat. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah. Stay well and stay whole. Likewise. Ah. And thank you, everyone, for (laughs) listening. Thanks for being a listener, I guess. Um, Next week, we have David Charles Plate, I hope, who's really cool, synchromistic guy, makes sync movies, translated the Zohar to English. Killer guy. Got to meet him. And until then, we will see you next week. Have a great night.